Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to close them again, as we've done the last few weeks. I don't want you to open them just yet, because if you haven't been with us, we've been journeying through the Beatitudes, the introduction, the opening salvo of the Sermon on the Mount. And over the last few weeks, I've been challenging us as a church family to have uh, this passage just be ingrained and rooted into our lives and into our heart and into our minds. And my hope is that you've continued to rise to the challenge. I know it's huge. Reading 12 verses one time during the course of the week, it's about, I, I timed it. It's like a minute 15. Now, come on. You can read those 12 verses and begin to get this within you. And so what I'm asking you to do is I'm not going to quiz you today on what it is that we've already looked at. I'm going to quiz you today on what it is that we're looking at today. So it means you've had to have read in order to know what's going on. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of a hint. Normally we focused on blessed are the poor in spirit. And then we, we also did certainly look at for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But this morning, uh, I'm going to give you the first half. I'm going to give you the blessing. And I want to see if any of you can share with me what the explanation is. The last part of the beatitude today. Today it's blessed are the gentle. Your version might also say the, the, the meek or the humble, but blessed are the gentle. And does anybody know the rest of that beatitude? Samantha? For they shall inherit the earth. She gets the prize today. I will share with you what that is. I'm very excited about this one. So this one. You, uh, you get a jar of dirt. I got a jar of dirt. I got a jar of dirt. And guess what's inside it? Because you have inherited the earth. <laughs> I'm so proud of this one. I was like, oh, this is really clever. Now, as, as last week, spared no expense. This is actually fancy, like... Uh, Tiffany, basically, she loves plants, as I've mentioned before, and it's got all kinds of stuff other than dirt in here, but it's going to grow. And then because we've continued with the theme of watermelon, uh, we have some watermelon seeds. I expect you to put these in here and just to see how it begins to grow. So there you go, Samantha. Congratulations. That is all yours. And she has won the prize for this week. And that's, that's what we're looking at today. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. So if you have your Bible, now is the time to open up, uh, turn on your phone Bible app or open up your hard copy of Scripture. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. And as we've done each week, we're going to read the, just the entirety of uh, the Beatitudes of Matthew 5, 1 through 12. And then we're going to zoom in and focus on specifically uh, the third Beatitude out of Matthew 5, verse 5. So if you would follow along with me, Matthew 5. Verse 1, it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This morning, we're going to be looking specifically at verse 5, 
Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, as we've done the last couple of weeks, we're going to look at the blessing and the explanation. So today, the blessing, the first thing we're going to see is just blessed are the gentle. And as I mentioned, some of you have maybe different translations. And just to kind of have a little bit of an interaction, does anybody have, just raise your hand, does anybody have something that doesn't say blessed are the gentle? Does anybody have anything else? All right, what does yours say, Dalton? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. Anybody have anything other than meek? Uh, Amanda? Humble, blessed are the humble, blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle. Does anybody have anything else, just out of curiosity? Okay, perfect, excellent. Because I went on Bible Gateway, and I looked at all of those, and I was like, these are the only three that I'm finding. And, and honestly, all three of these do a really good job, I think, of getting to the, to the heart and to the notion of what it is that Jesus is speaking about here. And originally, in, in, the, in the Hebrew language, the idea of, of blessed are the meek would have two connotations. It would have to do with dependence and submission. Dependence and submission. So whenever you read this, you might even your mind might wander in, down that path and in that direction that blessed are those who are dependent. Uh, blessed are those who are submitting. And I know submission is a word for whatever reason in our culture and day and time, it's almost like a bad word. It's, it's one of those S words that we don't want to use. But the reality is, it's all throughout Scripture. And the truth of the fact, uh, the matter is, is that we even see that Jesus, God the Son, willingly submits himself to the authority of God the Father. He chooses to do that. We can see in Scripture that, that uh, wives are to be subject to their husbands, that we also are to submit ourselves to one another. It, it's the perfect word for all of those teachings, and it's also a, a really good idea and connotation that's being brought out here that you, the individual, would have a heart that is submissive, that you would have a mindset and a will that is submissive and dependent. And it, so what it would look like is it would look humble or meek or gentle. Now, last few weeks, as we've been journeying through the Beatitudes, uh, we've been looking at our old friend in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 61, because Jesus in the first two Beatitudes, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn, he seems to be pulling from Old Testament scripture out of Isaiah 61. And so when his listeners here on the mountainside were hearing Jesus preach this sermon and he's sharing these beatitudes, those Jewish listeners would be like, that sounds familiar because they knew their Bible and they knew the prophet Isaiah and his writings. And here's a moment where when Jesus says, blessed are the gentle, I believe that those in that Jewish audience sitting on that mountainside listening to Jesus teach, their minds would have been ushered and just rushed right back to Psalm 37. Because Psalm 37 is probably the closest parallel that's found of what Jesus might even be pulling from. In fact, Psalm 37 verse 7, uh, or verse 11, listen to what it says. And, and just as a side note, this is one of those things of where I love the technology that we have. Use your phone. As, as a Bible app, but there's something about having just the hard copy of Scripture. And as I've mentioned to you the last several weeks, I think uh, a follower of Jesus is always a student of Jesus. And so uh, it, it, write notes. And, and even on in the margin of my Bible, uh, I, I just, I like having a Bible that has a little bit of a margin so I could write to the side, just like see Psalm 37. This is, should be a passage maybe this week as you personally dive deeper into this beatitude is journey to Psalm 37 and just simply see what it is that it has to say, so you can kind of get a little bit better idea of, of, of what it's saying. But, but Psalm 37, verse 11, listen to what it says. It says, but the humble, or the meek, will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. We don't have time to unpack all of Psalm 37, but Psalm 37 is a description of those who are meek, dependent, submissive, gentle. It, specifically, it says that the, the meek, if you will, trust 
the Lord. The meek take delight in the Lord. The meek wait on the Lord. The meek put their hope in the Lord. The meek, their way is upright, righteous, and blameless. All of that is found in Psalm 37. And so again, I believe that Jewish audience that's listening to Jesus on this mountainside would just be like, man, yeah, he's right. Like it makes sense that blessed are the gentle for they shall inherit the earth because I heard that growing up in Sunday school. I heard that going to Jewish, Jewish school uh, in the synagogue. I, I, I know this passage. This is, this is a truth. Now, as we, as we move on and, and we talk about this idea of gentleness or meekness or humility, I want all of you to grasp this. But in particular, I want our men and our fathers to get this. I, I want you to take this to heart. And that's not to say I definitely want our moms and, and our wives and our grandparents and our students to get this as well. And, and so what I want to start with is I want to tell you what meekness is not, and then we're going to take a look at what meekness is. Because it's a word that's thrown around, not as often, but whether I like to admit it or not, oftentimes when I hear the word or the term meek, my mind begins to go down a path that I do not believe is accurate, specifically biblically accurate. So a couple of things of what meekness is not. Number one, meekness is not a natural quality. And we're going to hit that later on in, in the sermon, but just jot that down. Meekness is not a natural quality. Two, meekness is not niceness. It's not the person who's just so kind to those puppies and to those kittens. That's not what we're talking about here. Meekness is also not compromise. Meekness is not compromise. And maybe the word that I often, though I believe erroneously associate with meekness, is weakness. I don't know why, maybe because they rhyme or they sound similar, but that's where my mind goes. And maybe that's where your mind is gone because I'm kind of similar. And so it's that thing of, I just, I want us to try to stray from that idea that sometimes we, we also even use that term of when people have described Jesus of he was meek and mild. And in my mind growing up, I was like, makes him sound weak as opposed to what the definition and the quality of meekness actually is. So we're not talking about a wimp. We're not talking about a weenie. We're not talking about a mama's boy. We're talking about what it actually means here today. And so three different ways in which I would uh, share with you in which this word can be described. And, and I like these. Um, the first one is it can be used to describe medicine. Meekness, the word specifically is a Greek word called proutes. Proutes. Can, can you say that with me? Proutes. Say it again. Proutes. I just wanted to see if you would say it. Proutes, it's a Greek word, and it's just fun to say. Proutes. And so proutes was a word that was used within the Greek language. That's what's literally written there in verse 5, blessed are the gentle. And proutes had a several different connotations or meanings within the Greek, but they're all similar. And again, the first one is used to describe medicine, because medicine, if it's appropriately used, is going to bring health to the body. This is a good thing. Medicine is incredibly powerful and also healing. But also think of the opposite of that. There are drugs that become very addictive and also destructive. So there, there is medicine, there, is, there are drugs out there that are great for our health and they are powerful within us to give us health. But they're also, if we go too far with it, it becomes destructive and addictive. Another way to think about this, this word proutes, the gentle, the meek, is used to describe a gentle breeze you know that you cannot contain the wind. The wind is just this constant power. 
But if it's a constant power that goes too far, it's no longer that gentle breeze that you can just go and you can stand, uh, especially on a, on a warm night, and you can feel that gentle breeze. Or if you're out even just on, on the open waters of a, of a lake or uh, of, of the ocean, and just that gentle breeze can catch that sail, and you can just take off with the gentlest of breeze, but it has power behind it. But it's also not making you... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> be, be in dangerous waters or in a dangerous situation to where you're going to, to tip over. The opposite of that would be, well, we've seen the destruction of wind when it comes to a tornado or to a hurricane. It goes to that extreme level. That is not gentle or meek. That is not prautes. It's that gentle breeze. Or my favorite is this word oftentimes, and maybe you've heard this one when people have talked about meekness, is this idea of it's how it's used to describe a broken stallion, a, a horse, when I think of meekness now, and I still have to kind of intentionally think this way, meekness, again, not weakness, but meekness is power that is under control, power that is within some parameters so that it doesn't become that destructive, addictive drug. It doesn't become that destructive, tornadic wind or hurricane. It's the same here with the idea of, of a stallion, of a horse that's broken, but incredibly powerful. Some of you maybe have had the opportunity to be around horses. I had the privilege when I was pastoring in Oklahoma, there was a man in our church, he had a, he had a horse ranch and I would be able to go out and, and I, I was excited, but also fearful and respectful of the power of the horse because I knew if I came up behind that horse and I uh, wanted to mess with that horse and try to scare that horse, that horse is going to knock me out because there is great power in that horse. But the incredible thing is that this man, Gail, what he had done in training these horses to have such incredible raw power that could destroy me just with a kick, that I could get on top of that horse and either with just the gentlest nudging of my knee, I could make it go this way or that way. Or even with the reins, I'm not yanking those reins one way or the other. I would just literally just have to move and if the strap just touched the side of the neck of that horse, it knew on this side, I'm going to go left. And that's how I'm going to go right. And it's just power that is under control. Think, of, think of, a, of a big man, big, strong, burly man who goes out into the battlefield and has the ability to crush another man's skull, but then he also has the ability to take his newborn child and just cradle that precious child in his arms and be as gentle as he can possibly be. His power under control. He's tender. I want to stress this to you for our dads and to our single ladies, or dads against dating. Guys, do not, do not allow yourself to be treated by a man who is not going to be meek. Husbands, or not husbands, but <laughs> yeah, husbands, don't let your wives date anyone. Um, but, for, uh, <laughs> but for our dads, you set that tone with, especially with your sons and with your daughters of what it means to be a man of God, to be meek, to be gentle, to be humble. But again, it, it doesn't mean weakness. It means power under control. You have, as specifically as dads, you have that responsibility and authority in your daughter's life until, and, and, until they, they, they grow and they, they find that man that you say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be involved in the process of what it looks like for you to be joined to another man in, in marriage. But we, we, we want to be mindful that there are, there are some guys out there that are not going to treat women with gentleness. I remember being a part of a church when we first moved to South Nashville, and a lot of the ladies that were there 
that we had kind of gotten to know Tiffany and I, uh, just precious, precious women of God and desiring to, to, to be married. Like, there's not, any, there's not any good men around here. And I was like, oh, sure there are. And I believe that there are. But then some of the men that I met, I was like, man up and, and, and pursue and, and, and have some power under control, but, 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 but go after these women that if God has placed them upon your heart, like understand that it's, it's not that you're just backing off and not being engaged at all, but it's not being overbearing. Men, if we have to threaten or bully our way into a relationship or into any kind of situation, if we're manhandling, then you are out of control. And that is not a godly character of a man. That does not need to be one of those things that people see with you. They need to see that you are a man who is meek, a man who is under control with your, not just with your physical emotions, but your mental emotions, also with your sexual desires, that you would not be someone who's driven by emotion or by lust or whatever it may be, but you are a man who's driven by the Lord and the Spirit in your life, and they will see that. And ladies, don't settle for anything less. And dads, don't allow them to settle for anything less. That marriage relationship is far too precious we don't want to see them in that situation. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it tells us as husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker or a weaker vessel. Since she is a woman, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hardened. Jesus cries out, blessed are the gentle, the meek, the humble. Perhaps even in this room, in our culture, we, we have this idea of, I don't want to be meek. I don't, I, I, I'm definitely not going to compromise. That's one extreme that we go on of, of just kind of laying down, being a weenie, being a mama's boy. It's not that in this day and age, we have a culture that says you don't just simply defend yourself or your position. You steamroll over someone who might rise up against you or your position. Anyone that would get in my way, if they're stupid enough to get in my way, I will have them taken care of. I will cancel them. That's the culture that we're in right now. And we think somehow that that is something to be proud of you're done. You're over. Whereas a follower of Jesus is okay with admitting, you know what? I might go into this work situation, and, 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 and what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to cheat or steal or, or steamroll my way into that position or into that, uh, that uh, promotion or whatever it may be. I'm going to recognize that I don't have it all together, and one who is meek is dependent upon the Lord. The one who is meek says, yeah, I could receive this offer or I could go down this path, but I'm going to step back because I understand that I want to get his guidance because I'm submissive to him and his direction in my life. I'm going to say, I need your help. I need you to fight for me. There's examples in Scripture, two in particular, that I think of when I think of a man in Scripture who is meek. I think of Moses. Moses was meek, but yet he was incredibly mighty. And ultimately, I think of Jesus. He was meek, but yet he is God. I, I would hope and pray that after this morning that specifically all of us, but specifically you men, would have a desire to be like, I would love it if someone looked at me and said, he's meek. Whereas before, you might not really like that quality or that characteristic to be described of you. Now, the last couple of weeks as we've been in the study of the Beatitudes, I've, I've shared with you that there's almost a stair step of progression with these Beatitudes. Remember the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's that recognition that I am spiritually bankrupt, that I'm a sinner. Last week, it was blessed are those who mourn. It's this idea of I see and I recognize that I am a sinner and that breaks my heart that I would sin against a good and holy God. I mourn, I repent over that. And do you see how that progression is continuing? We're not going to be humble or meek or gentle before the Lord and the things of God until one, we recognize we're a sinner. 
we mourn over that, and now we're in a position and in an attitude where we can be molded, and we are humble, we are dependent, we are submissive. And so I want to focus on this idea of humility for just a moment, because again, that's how some of your translations even use this word. Humility, I was just talking, I think a couple of weeks ago or last week after service, uh, one, of the, one of the young men came up and started visiting with me about humility. And he's like, Can, I think something to the effect, and I may be butchering this conversation, so I apologize, but something to the effect of, of if, if someone comes along and is like, yeah, I'm a real humble guy, did, didn't you just lose all your humble points in that moment? <laughs> that if you're recognizing that you are humble and declaring that, that seems to be contradictory to what humble actually means. Rather, it's that idea that hopefully there are people in your life that are looking at you, and when they describe you, they go, that is just a humble man or woman of God. There's a quality and a characteristic about it that I almost can't even put my finger on because, because they're, they're, they're not a mama's boy. They're not weak. They're not compromising, but yet there is a gentleness about them. There's a power that is under control. And so, and so the, the recognition of being poor in spirit, it, it brings you to that awareness of the mourning, the brokenness, and so you have this humility to the one who is going to, to comfort you as you mourn and as you are broken over your, over your sin. Now, when, when I think of humility, I've, I've heard the nef- definition before, and you may have heard it as well, but humility is, is not thinking less of yourself. It's not th- being down on who you are, like, um, I'm, I'm just a rough guy, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a very good guy. It's not thinking less of yourself. It, it's, it's thinking of yourself less. It's that you aren't always the subject or the object of all of your sentences, of every endeavor in your life, that you do put God and others before yourself, that you look for opportunities to serve and to, and to move beyond just simply the world revolving around you and recognizing how can I be a part of helping advance the kingdom of God and sharing and proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, all of that, all of that hopefully is this idea that you as men and women who have recognize you're poor in spirit, you're broken over your sin, and you're humbled before God, that what, we're, what we are going to hear is, is probably the part that has gotten me most excited in my study this week. It says, for you shall inherit the earth. What in the world does that mean? Remember, an inheritance is something that you don't earn. It's just something that you receive because of whose you are. I've, I've received an inheritance of, for example, like my, my grandfather's Bible. It sits in our front entry, just foyer area, along with Tiffany's grandfather's Bible. These, these were an inheritance. These were just things that were passed on to us simply because uh, I'm my grandfather's grandchild, and this was something that he wanted me to have. Inheritance is just something that you simply receive. And this attribute or this quality or characteristic for blessed are those who are gentle the inheritance that apparently you receive just because of whose you are is the earth. We're, we're not going to deep dive into it, but again, another parallel is, is Isaiah 61, Isaiah 61, 7. I'm just going to read it to you quickly. It's that same passage that we've referenced before in the Beatitudes. Isaiah says, instead of your shame, you will have a double portion, and instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. The land or the earth is this inheritance. I believe that the land or the earth is to be taken literally. It's not just this spiritual idea, but it's a literal thing. 
We can see, and we're going to see in just a moment in several different passages in Isaiah, Revelation, 2 Peter, that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So whatever your view of eschatology is or the study of the end times, of how it's all going to, to end, and I believe if you're right, you'll be a premillennialist. but if you're not, that's okay. It's, it's not something we're going to divide over. That's just something that we get to have fun and discuss. That's a dogfight for another day. But whatever your belief is about the end times, and I, and I would say it's probably pretty hard hermeneutically to spiritualize all of these promises that have been given to Israel, but what we find and what we see is that there is going to be this fulfillment that is spoken of in Scripture of a new heaven and a new earth. And, and I like throwing that in, one, because it, it always causes a little bit of discussion and maybe a little bit of debate about what we believe about the end times, and it's fun. It's not a salvation issue. It's just a fun theological discussion. And, but I do want you to chew on this idea that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and according to this passage, you inherit the earth. And so what I, wanna, what I just want to lead you to is, is uh, one of my favorite professors when I was in seminary, he wrote an incredible commentary on the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5, we don't have, again, time to just dive into it, but in Hebrews 2, verse 5, there, there is this, basically God is making this firm decision that it's not going to be in any way angels that he's going to put in control of the future world, but it's men and it's women. We, we have that responsibility. Isaiah 61, 7 speaks of this. Isaiah 65, 17 Isaiah 66, 22. Revelation 21, we looked at it last week of how the new heaven and the new earth are going to descend. Specifically, I'll, I'll just reference to you out of the book of, of, of 2 Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it talks about how the, the, the current earth and the current heaven are going to be destroyed by fire. And then it later on tells us that in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, that according to God's promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. As I've told you the last couple of weeks, I haven't met anybody who says, I want to go to hell. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But I, I want to just free, kind of, hopefully give you something that, that maybe you haven't thought of before, or maybe you have. Heaven is not going to be your final home. Heaven is an intermediate state. Heaven, heaven is, the, is the dwelling of the Lord, but according to Scripture, there's going to be that new heaven and that new earth. And as we see the new heaven and new earth descend, what we have in this moment is the intermediate state is when we die, we are present with the Lord. We are in what we think of as heaven. But there's going to come a moment where there's going to be a new heaven and new earth, and according to Galatians uh, or Hebrews and several other passages, there's going to be a responsibility that we have as an opportunity to be able to inherit the earth, to rule the earth. It's going to be very similar to what we see in the book of Genesis before the fall of man, that God looks upon Adam and Eve and says, you have dominion, you have rule, and you have reign. This is something that you're supposed to be working over and, and cultivating and working. And, and sometimes we lose sight of, I just want to go to heaven. I do too. But the ultimate fulfillment is going to be that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And we who are in Christ, we who are gentle, humble, and meek, dependent, submissive to Jesus and the things of God, we get to experience the inheritance just because of whose we are, which is, a, which is the earth. That is our final destination. That is what we get to receive. And more than anything else this week, as I studied this, it brought me such great comfort and, and, and joy and humility and excitement. Because if we're not careful, we could look at these Beatitudes and say, well, maybe I could conjure up, you know, being contrite and feeling bad about my sin. Or maybe I can even recognize I'm not the best person, I'm poor in spirit. 
But I want you to realize that all of these beatitudes are because of God at work in your life. Because your salvation and your hope and your inheritance and your eternity is not based upon you. It's based upon Him and how He is moving in your life. He's the one who has initiated the process of revealing to you through His law and through His holiness that whenever we are exposed to His holiness and to His standard, then we see ourselves and we go, man, I am spiritually destitute. <laughs> and, and that means I'm a sinner. And it's He who begins to convict us that we become contrite and mournful and even repentant over that sin as we saw last week. And if there's nothing else that would let us know that this idea, these qualities of these beatitudes, these characteristics of all these beatitudes aren't something that we conjure up, it's because we can't conjure up an inheritance. It's God who is the one who is so gracious beyond gracious and merciful beyond merciful to say, here's the gift of salvation and here's the gift of inheritance. It's, it's yours. It's like a dad just wanting to dote on his son or his daughter. And it's like, I'll just give it to you all. I want you to have it because of what I've made possible for you through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And so, yeah, I, I do hope that you have this quality and characteristic of gentleness, meekness, and humility, but it's because God is already working on you and in you and through you. Are you allowing Him to, to, to do so? Earlier I told you that, um, that this idea of meekness is not a natural quality. We, we, we can't go super long into it, but if you have a copy of Scripture, it'll be on the screen, but look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Again, I told you meekness or gentleness, humility is just not a, it's not really a natural quality. Look at Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. I'm going to read a little bit here. Paul writes, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets, sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immor immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things, note this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look at the next verse. That is the fruit or the, what is produced for those who are not a part of the kingdom. But those who are, look at what you produce. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Verse 23, prautes, gentleness, meekness, humility. It's the same root word that we see in Matthew 5, 5. Self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and with its desires. In our flesh, there may be people that we even see in this life of, I know they're not a follower of Jesus, but there's a gentleness about them. I think for a time, for a season, people, there's, there's some great people out there who are outside of the faith good, salt-of-the-earth people, incredibly gentle. But what they are producing, it, it may for a season come out of them, but, but what we need is not this natural quality of gentleness or meekness. What we need is a supernatural quality, 
That's why I say meekness is it's, it's, it's a natural quality. It's, 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 it's not, it needs to be a supernatural. For us to be able to truly display and live this out, and for the kingdom of God to be our inheritance, for the inheritance of the earth to be ours, then there should be this evident marker and characteristics within our life because we are led by the Spirit. This is one of those supernatural things that we see. Or Again, if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, you might see people, they're like, oh, they're pretty loving, they're pretty joyful, they're pretty peaceful, they're pretty patient. But, but is it continuing on beyond a season and beyond good circumstances? Is it a supernatural quality in which they possess? Is it a supernatural quality in which you possess? Meekness, gentleness, submission, dependence, humility. And what I would say is, is as, as you go back into the work week this week or in just to your regular day-to-day this week, some of you, what, what we begin to do is we, we feel like we have this unspoken obligation to just have it all together, to have it all figured out. And my hope is that this morning, just looking at this beatitude of dependence, submission, humility, is that you could just breathe a huge sigh of relief of that you don't have to have it all together. And at this place, we we don't expect you to have it all together because you, you just can't. I've told you before, and it's not nice, but it's just true. You're a mess, and I'm a mess. And we need God in our life. So we must be gentle, submissive, dependent, and meek because we need Him in our lives. And I, I know, and, and especially in our culture in the South, there's almost this, this tendency that we have that's acceptable that we put on this particular kind of posture and that, that whether we're in a church setting or we're just out in the community or we're just with some friends, we kind of put on this, this persona of, I got it all together. So some who will go into the workplace and they'll have on their power suit and their, 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 their power tie and their power handshake and they're like, no weakness, I'll cry later, I'll parent later, I'll spouse later, I'll rest later. And we have people that in the life of the church, let alone the community, who are putting on a certain persona to present themselves so they can be seen through a particular lens by those even within a room like this so that way people won't see a vulnerability or a need or a dependence and think, oh, they got it all together. But... but Without Christ, none of us have anything together. We, 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 we need to have those moments of where if we have the attitude of, I got it all together and I'm going to parent later, spouse later, I just got it all figured out. The reality is, is you're going to wake up, you're going to look up and you go, I don't have it all together. And where is my spouse? And where are my kids? And where is my job? And where is my joy? And where is my life? Some of you are so incredibly exhausted and I'm one of them. <laughs> and I was just reminded this week that, that, it's not like there's a cat in the bag, but, but a little paws coming out of this cat in the bag. So this past week, uh, I went back into the workforce. I, I had to get another job. And it's, it's one of those things of where I could fight and resist that, or I could say, Lord, you are providing for me, and I will humbly accept what it is that you have for me. I don't have it all together. Some of you know the situation that Tiffany and I are in, and, and the church has been incredibly kind and gracious, but I'm not about to put anything else upon the church when it comes to anything else. And early in April, we, we, we had the opportunity for the, 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 the company that I was working for during early COVID. They, they had shut down our department, dissolved our department, about 100 people. And in April, um, I, got, I got a, uh, was reached out to by one of my old managers and was like, hey, are you, are you doing anything? Are you working right now? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, 
do you like it? I was like, I love it. <laughs> this is my passion. This is what I love. This is what I enjoy. She's like, well, if you have any interest, I was like, no, thank you. I'm good. And that afternoon, I was talking with Tiffany. We had just gone to another appointment for the, the doctor. And we didn't know what the future was going to hold. And so in my mind, I was like, well, maybe this is something Tiffany could look into. Like, this is a different job opportunity that she could look into. And we realized after that appointment, I was like, no, that's, that's not a good idea right now. <laughs> and I can just remember about two or three nights later, just waking up in the middle of the night and just realizing God was just, just hammering me of, are you going to look a gift horse in the mouth? <laughs> You've been crying out, God, help us in our situation. It's going to require some work, but help us. It's like that guy that you guys have heard the story before. He's crying out to God. He's standing on his roof. The floodwaters are rising. He's like, God, save me. Boat comes by. Get in the boat. No, no, no. God's going to save me. Helicopter comes by. Get in the helicopter. No, no, no. God's going to save me. Guy died. He's like, God, why didn't you save me? Sent you a boat. And I sent you a helicopter. May not be the way in which we thought it would be, but God saved him. And just have this desire that this week I could focus on, yeah, it's 40 extra hours that I don't have to give in other places that I have a passion and a heart and a calling for. Or I could look at it as an opportunity that the Lord is presenting for a season of time to be able to be provided for and to say, I humbly thank you for your provision. And so even this week, driving on I-24, which is the worst, I have a little commute now. I was driving up there, and my schedule is all kinds of jacked up, and I was just like, Lord, I haven't been able just to drive for 30 to 50 minutes, who knows, with 24, an hour and a half, of just uninterrupted time just to pray and focus. And granted, I am a glass-half-full personality and optimistic, which drives some people crazy sometimes. But I was like, I could take advantage of this moment and this opportunity. And, and I can't tell you, this, this week has been incredibly exhausting and hard. I'm one of those that I'm exhausted. But at the same time, he continues to fill me up. He's continuing to lift me up. And I believe it's, it's because... <laughs> It's because there's this desire that I, that I have of, of wanting to recognize, God, here's an opportunity. And you know what God has provided in the first week is I'm the only new hire. And so I'm being trained by two individuals, which is awesome. Like, I'm getting it down pat. And as I'm getting trained, the first day they asked me, well, tell me about yourself, which is the worst question. Don't ever ask anybody that. Just tell me about yourself. Where do you start with that, really? Like, how do you, how do you begin that conversation? And, and, and so I began to just kind of share with them, and I'm a fairly transparent person. I was like, oh, well, this is going, that's going on. I just told them a little bit about Tiffany and I's situation. And, and uh, they said, well, you said you're a pastor. I said, yeah, I am. And they began to ask some questions, and then very quickly they, they stopped those questions, and we went into training. But by Friday, it was just so, so encouraging to see that when I showed up that morning, one of my trainers said, what are you preaching on Sunday? I'm preaching in the Beatitudes about blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. And I began to ask her some more, and she wasn't ready for the rest of the conversation, so it got shut down. Okay. By the end of it, both her and my other trainer said, I hope you have a great Sunday. I hope you get a lot of hearty amens. And I was like, me too. I love a good amen. It, it spurs me on. It makes me preach longer. I love it. And, uh, 
And they said, maybe on Monday you can give us a little bit of a, of a summary of what you preached on. <laughs> I laughed and I said, yeah, we'll see about that if it's little. <laughs> and, and yes, my, my life is a bit turned upside down. And sometimes your life is going to get turned upside down. But I would encourage you that regardless of what circumstance that you are going through, though it is real and hard and, and exhausting, that you would come to the Lord and you would have an attitude of humility, dependence, and submission and say, just, Lord, what would you provide in this situation? Because I believe as best as I possibly can, I'm wanting to follow you in the path that you have set before me. Some of us are realizing that because of COVID, COVID knocked out all kinds of things in our life that we realized we thought were important, weren't that important. In the workplace, people are realizing we don't really need a big hub. People can work from home and it's saving them tons of money. Same is true for just in the life of the church. When COVID hit, it was this idea of, man, there's certain things we can't do. What's the main thing? We got back to some of the essentials of the faith and the mission of the church. And some of those things, they were like, when are we going to bring this back? Well, maybe it doesn't need to come back because we're busy and tired. I love that the elders, as I visited with them, they've been great about where we are and we're growing. We have new faces just about every week and we're seeing that and we've gotten to a point where we need to begin to have small groups and that kind of thing to continue that intimacy. And it's that idea, as we've discussed, of like there's lots of things that are out there that we need to definitely want to give our attention to in different ministries and different areas, but we also don't want to spread ourselves so thin that the manpower and the people that we do have are just completely stretched and strained and exhausted. That's why... It is very much that we, we are a, an all-hands-on-deck kind of church because if we put it all on, on that individual or this individual or for that group or this group, then that group gets exhausted and then we feel like we're in desperation mode and we got to get someone else. And so can I just tell you, there are plenty of opportunities for some of you might be like, I would love to get involved and engaged. There's plenty of opportunities for you to do so because the mission of exalting Jesus and increasing Jesus and us decreasing, there's plenty of things for us to do in the life of the church. It may not look like what you thought it was going to, but there's plenty of opportunities to be a part part of that. We're not looking to be a church that's just run by programs. We're looking to be a church that is wanting to focus on Jesus. And if there is something that can help make that happen and live out the New Testament model of the church, that's what we want to do. But what I want to free you of is that when you come into this place, when you come into this church scene, if you want to give a praise to the Lord or a hearty amen, do it. But, but don't posture. Don't present yourself in a particular kind of lens that you want people to see you in because that's what a good Christian guy or good Christian gal should look like. Come with an attitude that is a power under control, a meekness, a humility, and a dependence upon the Lord Jesus. That when you come in here, you could say, God, I don't have it all together, but you do. God doesn't want you to have that mindset. He wants you to have humility. That's why I love, there's so much that we don't even have time to get into that is connected with this beatitude in the, in the book of James, where James chapter 4 says, if you will draw near to God, he will draw near to you. If you will humble yourself, he will exalt you. And I don't know about you guys, but right now I'm in a season of life where I'm like, God, I'm going to humble myself because you tell me to, and I'm needing you to lift me up. I'm needing you to exalt me, not just spiritually and not just emotionally, but I need you to lift me up physically in the, every aspect of how you created me because you created me. Lord, would you lift me up? Would you exalt me? And so part of that is going to be in the end of all things, I will inherit the earth. I will be a part of that inheritance along with my brothers and sisters in Christ. But in the meantime, Lord, as, as I have that quality, hopefully of meekness, power under control, Lord, you would lift me up. And so what I want to invite you today is, is to humble yourself before the Lord. 
This last song that we sing is not just to go through the motions and just mumble some words along and be like, oh, it's time for lunch or run to the bathroom. To me, this is the most essential part of the entire service. You praised God. Hopefully you heard from his word. But what are you going to do with it? If we walk out the same way that we walked in, then you did not encounter the living God. Because when you encounter the living God, you're different. And I believe that the living God is wanting to say, you don't have it all together, but I do. Come to me. Come to me. Be meek. Be humble. Be dependent. And one of the ways that we give you opportunities to do that is, yeah, it might be singing the song that we're going to sing. But some of you, the last thing you need to do is when I tell you to stand in a moment, is stand. You need to stay seated. Some of you may even need to turn at your seat and just kneel and begin to pray and have that posture of physical humility before the Lord. Others of you, if you're like me, you're tangible, you're hands-on. And so you might just get one of those little note cards in the front of the back and just write out a prayer request or even a, a word of gratitude of just, Lord, thank you for my inheritance. Thank you for saving me. I am a mess without you. I need you. Others of you might humble yourself to the point of saying, I'm going through something right now that is so big and so hard and so heavy. I'm taking it to the Lord, but I wonder, Pastor, would you pray for me? And write it down. Put it in the plate, front and the back. And I'll pray for you tomorrow morning about 6 a.m. And I'll lift you up before the Lord and pray that he will exalt you. He'll lift you up out of the pit or the mire that you're in right now because sometimes life is just hard and the beauty is we have the Lord but the beauty is he also gave us each other so that we're never alone we always have others around us so if you would would you stand maybe you need to sing maybe you don't the biggest thing you need to do is respond if you need to visit with somebody pray with somebody in person I'll be right here I'd love to visit with you I'd love to pray with you